Hey there, I'm Andrew Yeager, and this is WBHM Politics. When someone buys an Alabama-made car or an Alabama-grown soybean, that person isn't always an American. In fact, the state says Alabama companies exported almost $22 billion worth of goods and services last year. The second largest market is China. That's why the trade spat between the United States and China has some folks in Alabama concerned. It was sparked by President Trump's decision in March to apply tariffs on some foreign-made steel and aluminum. China responded with its own set of tariffs on a range of American products. Both sides have threatened further action, but at the moment, they're in kind of a standoff. So we'll explore what this might mean for Alabama. Joining us is Carolyn Turner. She's an international trade specialist with the Alabama International Trade Center at the University of Alabama. It's an office that assists businesses with global trade issues. Uh, Carolyn, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Also, Mitt Walker. He's the National Affairs Director with the Alabama Farmers Federation. Uh, Mitt, thank you for talking with us. Thank you. And also Josh Robinson. He's an assistant professor at UAB's Collat School of Business. Uh, Welcome to you. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, Carolyn, I want to start with you because these tariffs were announced uh, about six weeks ago, two months ago or so. What did you think when you first heard these announcements? I definitely think that there will be strong impact on the state of Alabama and the small businesses that do business here, especially the ones dealing with international business and importing and exporting. Two of our major industries are automotive and aerospace manufacturing, and the sources that they use to supply these materials, the cost will increase. This will affect jobs in Alabama. And if China follows up with the retaliation tariffs, this will drastically affect our exports and the jobs that are related to exports here as well. Well, Mitt, let me turn to you because uh, agriculture products were not part of this sort of first round, but they've been threatened. Given that China is such a large market for Alabama farmers, how much concern are you hearing about you know, how this may play out? Sure. Well, you know, first of all, I would say it's not surprising that agriculture would be, you know, targeted in this retaliatory back and forth. Um, Agriculture is one of the bright spots in American trade. Um, We enjoy a surplus of about $20 billion annually with our trading partners. So, you know, if you're looking to squeeze uh, where it most hurts, I think agriculture is a a likely target um, when you look at, at China's plan moving forward. So when you talk to farmers, are they um, fearful? Are they waiting on the sidelines? What what are the sorts of things you're hearing? Yeah, I I think right now we're taking more of a wait-and-see approach. Um, Obviously, the second round of tariffs is is still not being imposed. Uh, There's a comment period going forward. It could be months before we see actual impacts there. Um, The markets, uh, I would use soybeans as an example, within a day or two of, of this potential second phase of tariffs coming out. The uh, soybean markets did see some declines, but really have rallied and and stabilized back to levels uh, prior to that announcement. So we're uh, obviously uh, cautiously um, watching things. Uh, Anytime you talk about a potential disruption in trade markets, uh, it could be a big deal for for our farmers. Uh, Nationally, we export about 20% of all of our uh, commodities produced in the country. Well, Josh, I want to get you into the conversation and from an economic perspective. When we hear from economists, the vast majority are not in support of tariffs. That, that's, that's generally correct. true. <laughs> why is that? Because, you know, if one side's doing one thing, why shouldn't the other side take some retaliatory action? So it's kind of like uh, shooting yourself in the foot to a certain extent. I mean, so tariffs uh, prevent a lot of helpful trade. So um, when we trade with other nations, it increases the GDP of both countries, right? So even if we're at a trade deficit with China, our GDP and our income are growing as a result of those trade interactions. 
regardless of whether or not we're running a trade deficit or not. And so when we impose tariffs, we limit those trade interactions by increasing the cost of them. So, you know, we might save uh, a few jobs in the steel industry, maybe for a short period of time, but we're doing it at the expense of other jobs and incomes in the auto industry, in the agricultural industry, and, you know, many more. So there are a lot of secondary effects that could come with uh, putting those blanket tariffs on aluminum, on steel, on some of these other threatened products. Yeah, and uh, the biggest threat to, that I think of, and the reason I think uh, people have a harder time understanding this, is that a lot of those things aren't as salient to the public as a lost steel job. So what happens a lot is that, um, you know, farmers will survive or the auto industry will survive, but, it you know, they might survive at lower profits, lower wages for, for auto workers is a very high possibility when you increase costs for steel and aluminum. One way to remedy that for the auto industry is to not increase wages, right, to offset those costs. So those are not obvious to the public that that's happening, whereas, you know, somebody losing their job is a lot more obvious. Uh, but yeah, these effects are just as real and they're generally bigger. Looking at statistics from the past, in 2002 when President Bush uh, cited these similar tariffs on 30% um, on steel products, in the past it created about 3,500 jobs in the steel industry as a result of those tariffs, but there was a subsequent loss of jobs according to the Department of Labor. It reported an estimated loss of 190,000 jobs as a result of those steel tariffs. So we have a situation where the tariffs may help some industries, some narrow interests, I guess you would say, but the, the secondary spec effects, the spillover effects, can cause larger losses. That, yes, that, that's in the steel-consuming industries. So when you talk to folks uh, in Alabama and the, the entrepreneurial community, who do you hear that's most concerned? I mean, we know the history of steel and manufacturing, but is it just automakers? Is it just those that are really closely tied with steel? No, it's definitely the automotive manufacturers as well as the aerospace field, but this is also affecting the construction industry, the, the beer industry. Um, you know, the beer industry is booming in this country, and this will negatively affect them as well. And that's because they need aluminum for their cans, I assume. Yes. I guess, how concerned would you say you're hearing? Is it sort of like the farmers where it's a, a wait-and-see approach? They're definitely not waiting and seeing. We are actively being contacted by small businesses that are looking to see how this will affect their supply chain and see if they need to alter their sources of supply and find different countries that they can source it from or possibly sourcing it domestically. Give me a sense of the, the thinking that would go into that decision, because if I'm a, a business owner in Alabama and I'm thinking about that supply chain, trying to put together these pieces that could come from multiple parts in the world, throw tariffs into that how do I go about dealing with that? I can say it's extremely challenging for small businesses. The way that customs and, and classifications are handled in this country, it's, it's not exactly simple for small business owners to understand and deal with when they're busy just trying to run their small business. So having them have to analyze their supply chain, figure out what their classifications are, some of them might not know what their classifications are. Or maybe they source the product domestically and they don't even know that that supplier actually imported the material and is now going to be subject to these increased tariffs. They'll have to double check and see whether the price increases that their suppliers are giving them are actually legitimate. Maybe they're just increasing the price because they know they can. So it, it's a big analysis, a big puzzle to put together. And I would just add to that that it, it really disadvantages small businesses more than large ones, right? So larger businesses are much better equipped to adapt their supply chain. They do this a lot. Right. Where smaller businesses, they don't have the personnel or the time to kind of re-optimize this stuff constantly. And ultimately, their prices are going to go up either way. Right. So they might try to 
you know, get around these tariffs for a short period of time, but then it ends up that their costs are going to go up either way. So it really disadvantages the, the smaller businesses more than the bigger ones. The bigger ones kind of know how to adapt to this kind of stuff. So if I'm Mercedes and I know I'm exporting cars to China, I, I can deal with whatever that new policy may be. But if I'm uh, a small mom and pop sock manufacturer in Fort Payne, dealing with China might take a little, it might be a little heavier mm-hmm. load. Um, Mitt, in terms of agriculture, you know, we know it's a global market. Where's the concern that if um, American or Alabama products become too expensive, where would the Chinese go? Where, where's your competition in this? Competition comes from around the globe. Um, you know, there's countries like Brazil, Argentina, South America are big players in the soybean market. Um, as this plays out, it's possible that some of our production could shift into other countries away from China. China may look to, um, you know, source more of their soybeans from uh, Brazil or Argentina. So it's really difficult. I mean, global trade is very, very complex, uh, particularly when you talk about agriculture. Are you seeing any movements yet from buyers saying, we're not quite sure where to, how this is going to play out. We're, we're going to hold off for maybe a, a few months. Not necessarily. I I will say, I mean, when you look at a country like China, they don't produce a lot of soybeans there. And and I hate to keep picking on soybeans, but that (laughs) that is one of our biggest exports to that country. They need that product. They have a very large pork industry there. Uh, Soybeans are a key component to to pork production in that country. As it moves forward, again, we're we're very hopeful that um, this will be settled sooner rather than later. Uh, and we can kind of get out of this crossfire, but for the, the time being, um, you know, we'll just have to see how it unfolds. I want to go back to uh, something that you said, Josh, and that was that there will likely be more losers than winners in this situation, mm-hmm. especially if a, a wider trade spat, uh, trade war develops. Who are the winners? Who are the ones that might end up ahead in, in Alabama? So I, I think those those industries that are being protected are um, going to you know, receive some advantages in the short run, for sure. When we impose these tariffs, the the net result for the market is that the prices go up, right, which increases margins for those businesses. So they have bigger profits, more room to grow. But again, it does so at the expense of losing more in terms of profits and wages in other industries that are affected by these tariffs. So again, as an economist, I would argue we're not helping these industries in the long run. We're helping them for right now, but what we're doing is we're we're not giving them the incentive to innovate to what the global market is doing. And and so, you know, if these tariffs ever go away, they're not going to be able to compete on the global market again because they're used to this protectionist attitude here in the U.S. So I don't see a lot of advantages except for short run advantages. It's a little bit of uh, economic tough love to not have the tariffs. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn, as you talk to businesses, you're, you're in a position of advising, helping them. What do you tell them or how do you advise them when it seems like sort of the rules are changing or the rules are in flux? We know businesses like consistency. That's our job. That's what we do to to keep clients and companies informed. So we have put together handouts on this. We are speaking at public events. We're doing interviews like this. Um, we're publishing newsletters about the subject to try to keep these small businesses informed because they just aren't informed. They all they see is what's happening on the news sometimes. All they see is what's happening on the news. Um, Mitt, thinking about the farmers, mm-hmm. I mean, you s- said that you weren't surprised that agriculture got dragged into this situation. Yeah. They feel targeted? They feel caught in the crossfire? Uh, you know, I think it's, it's farmers are used to dealing with adversity. Um, you know, whether it's, 
it's weather events, drought, uh, markets. I mean, it seems like every growing season we go into, there's a new challenge to face. Um, but they are survivors. Uh, they work through this. They, they kind of control what they have the ability to control and, and just kind of trust and, and put faith in, in the other things working out. Um, one thing, you know, to keep in mind, about 95% of the global population lives outside of this country. Um, our farmers, you know, really see their role in first and foremost providing food and fiber for our nation, but then also providing that, you know, for our customers around the world. So um, it is not surprising, again, that, that agriculture would be targeted. It is one of our bright spots in terms of, of the trade balance with this country. And then, too, I mean, I, I think obviously the, the, the negotiation part of that plays into it, too. It's no secret that rural America we're big supporters of President Trump. If uh, China wanted to put pressure on the president administration, it would make sense to go and, um, you know, kind of squeeze his, his most loyal supporters out there. So far, um, the majority of the farmers here in Alabama I've talked with um, understand the need to address some of these uh, trade issues out there, and they're willing to maybe take a, a bruise or two or a lump or two to get a good product moving forward. Um, the administration continues to work, I will say, on um, we just revised the uh, Korean uh, free trade agreement. With South um, Korea. Yeah, right, with South Korea. Uh, maintained a lot of the good things for agriculture in that. Um, we are moving toward hopefully the completion of the revised NAFTA agreement in the upcoming weeks. That's moving along quickly. So I don't think this is an issue where the administration has has walked away from agriculture or trade in general, they continue to work forward in, in making sure we have bilateral trade agreements moving forward. It's just a different approach than what we've seen with other administrations. The Trump administration just said last week that they were going to revisit the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Whether these are related, it's hard to tell, but I think that that could be a possible way to move forward to help mitigate some of these tariffs on steel and aluminum. So I, I would just add, the, the one concern I have here is that America holds a lot of the cards in the international trade uh, kind of game that we're playing here. And so, and I think Trump knows that, and I think that's why he's trying to push some of this stuff. The big difference between South Korea and China, though, is that, you know, South Korea has a democracy and a, um, and a market economy, and their citizens put pressure on their leadership when things like this happens. The problem with trying to fight this battle with China is even though we're holding all the cards, their citizens are much more used to dealing with this type of stuff from their government, kind of sacrificing for the greater good and things like that. That's an easier sell in China than it is in South Korea. And I'm not sure that we have, so even though we're technically holding all the cards, I don't know if we can, if we will outlast China if they decide to fight us on this. President Trump has said these tariffs are in part to get back at the Chinese for what he sees as unfair trade practices. You also have issues over uh, intellectual property in China where American companies have to give that to the, the Chinese government. When you look at tariffs, are they effective in getting other countries to change policies? How, how often do they work? Never. <laughs> Never. That's my opinion. I, I think it's a tough sell, right? Because it's, it's, it's a non-credible threat in a lot of ways, right? Because you're basically saying, like, I'm going to hurt myself in order to make you do something, um, which is, will hurt you too, but I'm going to hurt myself in the process. And and so it's it's a tough sell to say, I'm going to keep this up and my citizens are going to keep putting up with it. And again, in, in America where, you know, we have a healthy democracy and people get voted out of office quite often, it's even a tougher sell. I think a lot of people will call that bluff. And that's why I think it tends not to, to be very effective. And you said flatly no. 
That's my opinion. In the long run, I think it never works. It might work temporarily. But the other fact that we have overlooked is that, yes, protecting our local steel and aluminum industries is, is part of this. But Trump was citing Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act to put these tariffs in place. And that was specifically to protect our national security because we were thinking that our local steel and aluminum industries needed to be stronger in order to provide for the local domestic needs. But the report that the U.S. Secretary of Commerce actually published before these tariffs were put in place um, actually stated that the Department of Defense acknowledges that their current estimates for U.S. steel needs is now calculated to be only 3% of the U.S. steel production. So there's some questions around the rationale for these. 3%. For, for these for these tariffs. Um, well, as, as I you know, kind of wrap up this conversation, the Trump administration says that we're going to negotiate or we're, we're going to come to some sort of agreement. Assuming that happens and we do have some sort of agreement, what would you like to see? What would be helpful to American manufacturers, American farmers, um, people with goods and services either coming from China or selling to China? Mitt? Yeah, I think ultimately what we want to see is a trade agreement that works obviously for the farmers from my perspective but also works for the american worker and the american consumer and, and that's what makes negotiating these deals very very tricky because you have different interests involved uh, but ultimately we, we want an agreement that's good for america uh, and, and good for all americans and uh, we we definitely want as much access as we can have to these foreign markets tariffs do hinder that um, but we sell every day to countries that are imposing tariffs. So this is not a, a brand new concept that's hitting us. Um, we have continued to do business. Uh, does it put us at a disadvantage to some of our other uh, you know, countries? Certainly. But at the end of the day, as this unfolds, we want an agreement that's good for farmers, good for um, good for American workers, and good for the consumer. And it happens to be with a, a very large market, a, a very desirable market. Sure. Uh, Carolyn? What would you like to see in some sort of agreement, assuming that um, such an agreement does come to fruition? I'm not sure if an agreement with China is anywhere within reach. Our economies, our political systems are, are very different. But what I would like to see is possibly a different way to help the local steel and aluminum industry. Um, maybe anti-dumping duties instead to try to um, fight against lower-priced competition coming out of China. Possibly a, a tax dollar-based incentive or subsidy to the steel and aluminum tariff, uh, the steel and aluminum industry to try to build that up and allow them to have the money that they need to become more competitive. As someone was saying, 95% of the world's population lives outside of the United States. So just because this tariff is protecting them domestically and temporarily giving them higher profits, that does not mean that that same product that they are producing here would be competitive anywhere else around the world. So there are other ways to go about this than just uh, sitting across the table with the Chinese and trying to hammer out something new. Yes. Josh, what would be the ideal? So the, the pipe dream for every economist, I think, is just actual free trade. So just opening up the trade and, and not having an agreement where the government picks who the winners are. Um, I, I, I would hate to see uh, an agreement where our government goes in and decides which industries China is more open to and not others. Because, again, this, this hurts us in the long run. It doesn't allow for the natural progress of innovation. So I, I would love to see an agreement that just involved more free trade, China opening up to more American goods and us, uh, you know, re reciprocating that, you know, not imposing tariffs, not imposing quotas. And I think in the long run, that would make us all much better off. That's Josh Robinson. He's an assistant professor at UAB's Collat School of Business. Uh, Josh, thanks so much. Thank you.
Also, we've been hearing from Carolyn Turner. She's an international trade specialist with the Alabama International Trade Center at the University of Alabama. Carolyn, thank you. Welcome. And also Mitt Walker. He's National Affairs Director with the Alabama Farmers Federation. Uh, Mitt, thank you so much for talking with us. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of WBHM Politics. The show is produced by Gigi Duban and myself. Our theme song is by local Birmingham guitarist Eric Essex and is called Find Your Way. Let us know what you think. Send us a message through the WBHM Facebook page or tweet at us. We're at WBHM or you can use the hashtag WBHM Politics. If you haven't subscribed, please do it. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would, help us out by writing a review. I'm Andrew Yeager. Thanks for listening.